I, I spent a glorious day uh, yesterday. The weather was beautiful. You know, the, the mountains were gorgeous. And I was with uh, a genuine person yesterday when I, when I tell you about Mike Cope. Mike is, a, when I, Mike is a person who has such a heart for the Lord and who has a, a pure heart for the Lord. And when I say that, I mean, you know, a lot of times in ministry... Uh, we can kind of get caught up in the performance aspect of our ministry. And so we like to get up in front of people and talk, and everybody looks at us. Ken's looking at me right now, you know? And so that's kind of nice. But Mike is a person who has a heart that just doesn't care about that kind of stuff. What he cares about is talking about Jesus. What he, talks, what he cares about is building people up in the Lord, and he has always been like that. Uh, I first heard of Mike and, and heard him for the first time in 1986. It was a rich blessing then, and it's been a rich blessing every time. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that we have the, the opportunity to have Mike and come, to come and be with us this morning and to share with us uh, the introduction to the book of Hebrews that he's going to share. Um, Mike is the director of the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, which has grown over time to be the most influential event, I think, uh, within Churches of Christ on an annual basis. He has been the editor of a magazine, uh, at least one. He has written books. He's an author. He has preached for very large churches. Uh, when he was 27 years old, he was preaching for the college church in Searcy. I, I, when Jordan got up to do the Lord's Supper, I thought, I wonder if Mike was preaching at the college church in Searcy when Jordan was a student. It's a possibility. I don't know. Do you know, Kerry? Do you remember? Yeah, you wouldn't have gone to hear Mike anyway. You went to a different church. I get it. But I, <laughs> at any rate... Mike has preached for the College Church in, in Searcy. He preached for the Highland Avenue Church uh, in Abilene for 18 years. Some of you may have heard of Lynn Anderson, possibly. Some of you are related to him. Lynn was the preacher at the Highland Church for 19 years, and then Mike followed him and was there for 18 years. He's now uh, working with the Gulf Course, Gulf Course Road Church uh, in Midland, Texas. In addition to doing what he does for Pepperdine, I'm so grateful that he does what he does. Mike, come up here, and why don't we... I'll pray for you, and then you can exhort us. By the way, Mike and I have to walk out of here at 12.15. So if you're thinking, I wonder how long he's going to go, I can tell you, okay? Because we're going to walk out of here at 12.15 because he has to catch a flight, and we're going to be exhorted in the meantime. Lord, I pray you'd bless my brother as he speaks to us today. Help him, Father, to speak your word. I pray that your spirit is with him in a powerful way. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. When our, uh, when our third child was born, uh, he came into this world with some immune deficiency problems and uh, had to be quarantined for about a month. And that meant that I would go to our early service, just like this morning, by myself. And then our neighbors would bring our other two children. Megan, while she was still alive, was mentally disabled and people had to help her out there. But our other son was 10 years old. And at second service, he walked into our cavernous auditorium, the one where Lynn preached and that I followed Lynn, and he would come down to the very front and sit by me. And I never asked him to. And it felt so good as a dad that out of all the places my 10-year-old could come, he would come sit by his old dad. And it, it, it would wash over me at times, the emotion of it. And one Sunday, 
We were standing and singing. My son's by my side. I could feel tears starting to go down my cheeks as I thought about it. I leaned over and said, Matt, it means so much to me that you come sit by me. And he leaned over and said three words I'll never forget. He said, Mom makes me. And some of you parents get that. You know what it's like. And I tell you right now, I am traveling a lot for Pepperdine. And some mornings I wake up and think, who made me do this? Because I'm exhausted. But I, I have none of those feelings today. It's, it's a glorious thing to be here and to learn more about this church. This is my first time to Calgary, my first time to Alberta. And so I'll remember it always by this weekend. This is what I've got to remember. So I'll always remember Calgary as the place with perfect weather. You're the place with perfect weather. The Calgary, the other Malibu. That's what I'm going to think of it as. The, where, you know, it gets into the low 70s during the day, maybe the high 50s at night. 60 mile visibility. That's what I'm going to think of Calgary as. And I'll think of the animal life. Yesterday, Kelly and I went to the mountains. And I'm just going to suppose every time you go to the mountains, you see herds of elk and coyotes and a big black bear like we got to watch for about 10 minutes yesterday. And uh, just assume it's always like that around there. Diane and I drive back and forth from Abilene to Midland in West Texas. And we see lots of wildlife too. We see dead skunks, dead armadillos, uh, occasionally an exotic dead white-tailed deer. But, uh, but yesterday was just amazing. And far beyond that, to, to learn of this church. I think you know Kelly is, is great at telling stories. And so each time I met somebody here, He'd get away and he'd tell me your story of faith. Tell me the story of what you mean to this church. And I know if we had time, he could walk right around through this auditorium. So I'll tell you, I, I, I leave so encouraged. God needs you here. He needs you in Calgary. He needs people of faith. He needs somebody in your job and in your school. Somebody who lives in your neighborhood. He needs somebody just like that. And that could be you. So I've been blessed uh, by your hospitality, Kelly and Robin. Thank you so much. Uh, been blessed by being with Michael again. Michael and I worked together when uh, I was teaching at Evelyn Christian University. So, so good to be with him. I want to read uh, from Hebrews chapter 12 if you want to open your Bibles or it'll be on the screen behind me. Hebrews 12. Therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the rate marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray again. May the ancient words that we revere leap out of the pages of Scripture, O oh God. Inform in us an exciting imagination of what it means to follow Jesus. That we may live with tenacious faith in this community. And toward that end, God, please pour through me the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And we all say, Amen. So races, he wants to talk all the way through Hebrews about running and races. And he knows you've got to start, right? It's important to start a race. If you're going to run, you've got to start. 
But the way you start doesn't really tell us a lot about your race. Just that you got it started. Uh, I've gotten to run the Boston Marathon a few times. One thing I love at the Boston Marathon is with all of those thousands of people, there are always some kind of just above average runners who weasel their way at the last second to the very front of the line, and then they sprint the first mile. Now, they're not going to win the race. They're not even going to continue the race, many of them, but they will be leading at the end of a mile. You know why? Because ESPN has its cameras set up at the end of mile one. And they're going to come across. They'll be waving to mom and dad and and everybody at the end of the first mile. And then they're going to die. (laughs) They're going to pull off the side. They're going to grab some donuts and coffee. Watch everybody else. But they get off to an amazing start. Now, they're not the ones who are going to win the race, right? Uh, the, the ones behind them are the ones that are going to win the race. Now, that's still a fast pace. Not, not that I've ever been there to watch them cross. By the time I cross the finish line, the winners have been interviewed, changed clothes, and they're halfway back to Kenya. But they still have sustained this pace for the whole route, and that's what he's concerned about. You got started in this race in your baptism, actually before that. For some of you, your faith story began before you even knew it. When you were a child and your grandpa was bouncing you on his lap singing, Jesus loves me. When your grandma, your mom tucked you into bed. When you came and somebody put you in a nursery and they started teaching you these fundamental lessons of God's creative and redemptive love for you. But the day came when you had to decide, it's not just my mother's faith, not just my father's faith, not just my... Grandparents, not the elders, not the preacher. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need. And that's the day that you put a stake in the ground in baptism. When you said in baptism that I want to follow Jesus Christ. And so now this journey is launched. You're on the road of discipleship. So much happens when we bury somebody with Christ and raise them to walk in newness of life. While I was still preaching uh, at the Highland Church where Lynn was before me, I was in my office studying one day, and my assistant came in just flabbergasted. She was all excited, saying, Mike, you've got to come. Somebody's trying to commit suicide in our baptistry. And I thought I was being set up for a practical joke. But I peeked out in the hallway, and sure enough, everybody is running toward our auditorium. So I went running with them, went into the auditorium, and you could hear the splashing as soon as you walk in. There was a mentally disturbed woman who'd walked off the streets of Abilene, and she's trying to kill herself in our baptistry. She's trying to just hold herself under to kill herself. So I went running up there. I wasn't the first one. Our children's minister was ahead of me. She was going through the women's change room to get there. Our youth minister was ahead of me. I found out later he was in the men's room putting waders on, which, which I love. He was going to go, but he wasn't going to get that Old Navy t-shirt wet. So he's putting waders on. I went running up. You can't tell from where you are. I'm just 5'8". Baptistry is way high at that church. So I jumped on the communion table, vaulted myself up to the baptistry, grabbed on dear life, pulled myself up. It happened just like this. I reached out and pulled that woman and held on for dear life. Pretty soon the police, fire department show up. They got her, took her to a mental hospital. Everybody left. And eventually, the only ones left were me and an old cop. He was about a head taller than me. We're walking out of the auditorium. He put his arm around me. 
and said, you know, this wouldn't happen if y'all sprinkle. And I thought that's right, (laughs) but I'm not going to talk about it right now. You know, there've been worse theological arguments through the years than that. So why fight about it? Plus he had a loaded gun. So just uh, by virtue of that, you win the argument. But if we'd had time I would have told him about why we immerse people, about the symbolism of being buried and raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ. We're launching people on a lifelong journey. But that's the start. Kind of anybody can start a race. Question is, what happens in the middle? What happens when it gets difficult? When... When it seems like your prayers are not being answered, when you enter into a time of grief, when something happens at church that's disorienting to you, or you get mad at somebody, what, what happens when you suddenly realize that the culture around you is becoming less and less Christian and you go to work feeling like you're the only one in this place that believes the story of Jesus? What happens when you go to school and you realize that the people that you're friends with at school would just laugh if they knew the full implications of what you really believe about life? That's when it gets hard. But but any relationships like that, right? When I think of the 36 years of our marriage... I'm not really thinking about the wedding. I have vague memories of looking at pictures and I know it was a joyful day. But that's not the marriage. That was the, that was the launching of it. The marriage is... All of these years of joy and grief and loss and times I couldn't even look in the face of my wife because her grief echoed back to me in ways that I just couldn't handle. Recently, we've kind of pushed through and we're in this wonderful place, Diane and I are, and recently we had the two granddaughters with us. They were giggling. We just looked at each other and smiled and she leaned over to me and said nine beautiful words. She said, these girls are my reward for not killing you. (laughs) And so we've kind of held on to that. That's almost a motto for our marriage, you know, that this is our reward for not killing each other. Because some of those years are hard. And faith can be extremely difficult. And so he says in here, keep going. Keep running with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because it was a difficult thing for him. Some people act like Christianity is just going from glory to glory to glory. And they forget that the defining story of Christianity involves the suffering and death of Jesus. So he says in verse 1, keep running, notice the crowd around you. The crowd is all the people in chapter 11. The crowd is Abraham and Sarah and Daniel and... Well, he didn't mention them all. He could have mentioned my grandma Cope. Who from the other side of glory is cheering me on. She's mentioning grandparents before her that are cheering me on and people in the faith I know and love. An amazing woman that I got to be the minister of who just died. Pearl is somewhere cheering me on. It's an amazing thought. These are the people who ran the race. They're calling on you. They're telling you, finish. Don't, Don't throw in the towel. It may be a time of spiritual dehydration for you, but keep going a step at a time. It may be a time when you got cramps in your legs, but 
Stretch it out. Keep on going. Don't quit. God desperately wants to use you in this community for his glory. And sometimes, despite your hurt, sometimes with your hurt. So keep going. Um, First time I ran the Boston Marathon, I'd heard about it, but you can't really picture it very well. You just have to experience it. I knew that there's an all-girls college about halfway through, Wellesley College, and it's a long tradition that all the college girls come out on race day, and they're about four or five deep for half a mile, and these college girls are screaming at the top of their lungs, cheering everybody on. It's been studied and proved it's the fastest mile of the race for men. And the first year I was running, a young man is next to me. He's gasping and he says, isn't this amazing? And I said, it, it really is. He said, last year I looped around and did it again. And, <laughs> and I thought, I, I'm too tired, too old, too tired for that. I'll just keep on going. But it's an amazing thing, cheering you on. I got to the top of, of Heartbreak Hill. Really a series of five hills, but we call it Heartbreak Hill. And at the top, there was a woman who clearly was not running a marathon, but she's handing out water to people. And as I came, I had to get pretty close because I run without my glasses and I don't see very well. I got up and saw her T-shirt said, I ran in the 1996 Boston Marathon, which made me mad because this was the 1996 Boston Marathon. I'm like, you get the T-shirt? And uh, I got closer and realized there were actually some little letters in there. The big letter said, I ran in the 1996 Boston Marathon, but there were some little letters that said, I ran a water station in the 1996 Boston Marathon. Well, that's not the kind of people that's cheering you on. The ones that he's talking about, they ran. They finished. Some of them had great stories of victory. They went from answered prayer to answered prayer to answered prayer. But others, he says in chapter eleven thirty two and following, they, they had some sadnesses. They had sorrows. They didn't see everything worked out in their lifetime. But they kept pressing forward in tenacious faith. Tenacious faith has this way of hanging on, moving on in perseverance. In fact, you find out that for the Hebrews writer, faith and perseverance are two sides of the same coin. So you just, you keep moving. You keep moving along. I've lived in Texas for a long time now, so... Sad to say, I'm a Dallas Cowboys football fan. It's a, it's a dark winter of the soul for us. But, but my favorite player ever is Emmett Smith. Emmett is the all-time leading rusher in football history because he ran 15.3 kilometers with the football, averaging 3.9 meters each time he carried it. Now, you get, you get the significance here. Because first, first service, I did it in miles and yards. And I just wanted to prove that somebody from the United States, if you give them 45 minutes during Bible class, we can make that translation. So every, every, every few meters, large, beefy men tore into him. He's going 15 kilometers, but he's doing it little slices at a time. Every three meters, somebody tries to kill him. And he just kept getting up and throwing the football back to the ref and getting back in the huddle. 
That maybe is a better image of, of this race. There are challenges along the way, but you keep going. And notice he says, this is verse 2, let us persevere. You don't do it alone. I, I, I've been through some times, I don't think I'd have made it alone, but there were dear brothers and sisters who were part of this, carrying me on. You've got people around you. These life groups we're signing up for, Bible classes. All of these connecting points are ways of saying that we need each other. This week, I'm going to go to Jodell. Jodell cuts my hair. And I guess if she keeps cutting hair, she'll always cut my hair. I, and I know what you're thinking. Yeah, there's, it's getting easier by the week for her to cut my hair. But the reason I, I'll never change is Jodell saved my life. Jodell saved my life. I went in one time and she saw a little black botch in the back of my head, just just below the bald spot where it was kind of hidden. And she said, uh, go get this checked. And I did what I usually do. I ignored that completely. I came back a few weeks later and she said, did you get this checked? And I said, no. She said, you can either get it checked this week or I'm going to lock the front door and drive you to the doctor. I said, I'll get it checked this week. And I went in and they found a melanoma, which is a horrible kind of cancer. But if you find it early, very often you can just deal with it, which they did. And it's because Jodell saw this little blotch on my head and wouldn't just leave it alone. Now, the way it happens in church sometimes is I see something. I, I see maybe that you've got this something that looks dangerous, but I don't want to say anything because that's your business. That's between you and God. And so the next week I look and it's a little bigger, a little darker, but I just, you know, that's the elders will check on this. Uh, this is not my business. And meanwhile, the New Testament is saying, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, confess to one another, honor one another, greet one another, love one another. It's trying to get us into one another's lives. And it's not that I want to butt in, but we are companions on a journey. We are sojourners together. I act because I love, not because I want to be judgmental, but because I want us all to make it. I want to come to that finish line and do what great grandma did, what grandma did, what one day, perhaps before me, my mother and father will do, what my daughter has already done. I want to come to that line, whether I'm crawling, rolling, limping or sprinting at the end. I want to finish this race, don't you? That means I need you. You need you need one another. That's one of the high points of the Lord of the Rings movie series is at the end, Frodo says, I can't go any further. I can't get up this hill. The ring has taken its toll. And that's when Sam scoops him up and said, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Throws him on his back and plows up the hill. I had that happen. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a few years back with 14 buddies. About half of my friends were young men. Young, strong men whom I discipled when they were college students. They were now missionaries in Uganda. And then about half of us were old guys. We went up together. And I found it interesting as we started getting toward the top that a lot of the old guys were, were getting weary. And I felt superior to them, honestly. You know, I was feeling great. In fact, the young guys were singing tunes from the 1980s. So I got over with them and I started marching up singing tunes with them while we kept having to stop for the other old guys. And I was having this wonderful feeling. And then somewhere around 18,000 feet, I noticed somebody had vacuumed all of the oxygen out of the air. And I had this bad feeling. 
and had to call one of the young guys and say, can you carry this backpack for a little bit? And so JB grabbed my backpack. He carried this other one. And I plowed up until we got to the top and the 15 of us gathered around communion early on a Sunday morning. We sang, we shall assemble on the mountain and we prayed for Africa at the very top of it. And I think we only got there because we watched for one another. One in the group was a doctor. He took care of us, except that the doctor bumped his head, got a big gash. And so the dentist sewed him up. (laughs) If if the dentist had had a toothache, I was ready, baby. I... I've seen it on TV. I think I could do it, you know. But we watch for one another. We care for each other. We do this together. We are brothers and sisters because we're going to finish this journey. So this is just the launch today. You know, in, in, in many ways, this I guess this is an important Sunday for us. But like a race, this is just the start. What I'm excited about is the coming. I've looked at what's coming the next three months, and it's going to be an amazing time for you. Don't miss it. Plan to be here. Plan to be in life groups. Plan to take notes as Kelly and perhaps others are preaching through. Get your Bible. Study the book of Hebrews. Because, my dear friends, we're, we're on a race. We, we've started. That's good. But the question is, will we continue when it's hard? And will we finish this race? By the power of God in Jesus Christ, I, I trust that we will. Let's pray together. We give you thanks, O oh God, for your amazing power and grace for us. Bless us as we continue on this journey. Help us keep our eyes peeled for one another as we march. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.